Today's conversations are great ones. We sit down with Daryl Nance, a CMAA who serves as the Director of Athletics for the Greenville County School System in Greenville, South Carolina. A true believer in the power of betting on oneself, Daryl touches on some great topics today, including his innovative way to navigate the age-old question of playing time that you'll definitely want to hear. Let's settle in and get to know Mr. Daryl Nance. Daryl, we're so glad to have you joining Don and I for this episode of Hanging with the AD. It's always a pleasure when we get to sit down with a district athletic director. So we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Thank you. So for our listeners, Mr. Daryl Nance is the district athletic director for the Greenville County School System in Greenville, South Carolina. Coach Nance has served almost 30 years as an educator with over 20 of those years serving as an athletic administrator. He is a CMAA and has held positions on the board of the SCAAA, as well as serving on the NIAAA Certification Committee, and I imagine others as well. But I'll stop right there and let him tell us a little bit more about his journey through the world of athletics. Uh, Coach, we like to start the show, what we call the back of the baseball card bio, just a short bio of yourself. So if you could take a minute, tell us and the listeners, what would be on the back of Daryl Nance's baseball card? There wouldn't be a lot of stats because I was a very average athlete who did a lot of watching from the bench. But what I did was learn uh, what I really wanted to do, and that was to coach and uh, spent a lot of time with my coaches in high school, you know, asking them questions about what I wanted, you know, what they did and, and what it would take for me to do what they did. And uh, then I went off to school, went to college, tried to walk on uh, and play basketball at Appalachian State. Uh, Bobby Crimmins had been recruiting a player at our high school and I got to know Bobby and, and uh, I said, look, coach, I, I, I'll just take a walk on. And he said, if you can get into app, you come on, and I'll give you a chance. And so that summer, the summer of 1981, I took the opportunity to go to Appalachian State. and He took the opportunity to go to Georgia Tech. <laughs> and I get to Appalachian and uh, the new coach is up there and I go in and I say, hey, I'm here for my walk on opportunity. Can I work out and do all this stuff? And that coach looked at me and goes, you were Bobby's boy. I don't need you. Wow. And that was into my, you know, that was into my athletics career at that point. Yeah. And uh, so I, I shifted all my focus into coaching and leadership opportunities at that point and uh, got an opportunity to come right out of school and start coaching. And uh, three years into my coaching career, I had the opportunity to take a head coaching job and took that job on an interim contract. So the superintendent up there asked me, he said, how could you do this? I said, I'm 25 years old. I can take this risk now. Now I had a wife and an a 18 month old daughter <laughs> and he goes, you're crazy. And I said, no, I, I believe in myself and I think I want to take this opportunity. And he explained to me on the contract, he said, I want you to understand what this means. There were big red letters on the top of the contract that said temporary. And he said, here's, here's the deal. Lose and you're gone. If you're a bad teacher, you're gone. Win and we don't like you, you're gone. Win, be a good teacher, and we like you, we'll consider you. And I said, where do I sign? And he just, he's like, you're crazy. And I'm like, 
I'm confident because I've been preparing for this. Even though I'm 25, I've been prepared for this for a long time. This school had had a, uh, two coaches in three years. I was going to be the third coach in four years. I said, you've had three and four. You don't want four and five. I'm going to be your guy. And I, you know, I kind of bet on myself and we were, I think we were nine and two when they, and I was basket, basketball, you know, but we were nine and two had won a uh, Christmas tournament and had beat our rival a couple of times already. And they offered me a full contract in January. So, I mean, I took, I took that risk. And then I, from there, that school, I, I started doing my master's work in athletic administration. And after I did my, my internship there, which was supposed to be 360 hours. And Don, I know, you know what this means. You get, you get, and Josh, you too. I mean, you know what the job is, right? right? Yep. But you got a 360 hour internship and you got to chart all those hours. And when I'd finished my internship, I had 540 hours. Yeah. And that introduced me to why do I want to do this job? I mean, nobody <laughs> wants to do this job, but That's right. you know, you get into it and you realize the impact you can have with all the coaches, all the kids, all the parents, all the sports, it was no brainer that that's where my, my future was. So that's, that's really where I got my start. Yeah. So I have to ask, I heard you tell your story about betting on yourself before. And, and the question that comes to mind is where did you get the boldness, the confidence, the ability to bet on yourself? Was somebody mentoring you or did that just come that where where'd that come from? I think, well, I'd had a lot of really good mentors. Oddly enough, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, was my, I had a birth, surprise birthday party and a bunch of my former players came. My daughter set it up. I posted pictures. You know, they, there's a bunch of pictures posted me and my, my players. About four days later, I go to a game and my coach, my high school coach was at the game watching his grandson play. And I made sure I got a picture with my coach, mm. you know, and, and put that out there. My coach, I'm still very close to my coach uh, from you know, 40 plus years ago. He taught us the game. My dad taught me the game. My dad was my first coach. He was the little league coach. I think every parent wants their kid to have. He didn't care what position you thought you should play. He taught you how to play every position. Every kid got a chance. Dad taught me how to do that. Uh, He taught me how to uh, understand the fundamentals of the game and things like that. So, you know, my dad gave me the great background and, and most of my, you know, my coaching understanding was my dad, then my high school coach. And then, because I knew I wanted to coach, I, I did a lot of effort in, in school, um, you know, taking coaching classes and, and different leadership classes. And I, I studied the game. I mean, I really studied the game of basketball. Uh, and I've coached football. I coached baseball. I coached softball. I coached volleyball. I, I coached. I studied what coaching was, and I and I understand the game of basketball. And so, you know, I got a chance to work with uh, my first head coach when I was an assistant. My first head coach. Uh, it was a guy named David Riggins who wound up coaching at Mars Hill and became the AD at Mars Hill for a long time. David was was a, a great mentor as a rookie, as a rookie, you know, high school coach for me. And then I guess after that, I, I did a lot. I did. I worked at every basketball camp, right? I, I worked Duke's basketball camp. I worked Duke's basketball camp every year since 1986. For 30 years, I worked Duke. <laughs> coach K was a big supporter of mine. Pete Gaudet was a big supporter of mine. I worked at Furman's camp, Clemson's camp, South Carolina's camp. I did the circuit. I learned the game and learned how to, you know, talk to coaches and ask questions. And when I was at Furman, I transferred from Appalachian to Furman, back to Furman here in in Greenville's because I I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I was working in the sports information department as as a junior and senior. And one of my jobs was, you know, stats with basketball, but then kind of clean up afterwards. Well, one of the, you know, that, 
responsibilities that I took was going into the media room and I would meet all the opposing coaches and I would ask them questions after games. What, you know, what did, what did you think about this? Or, or what, what, what would your advice be for a young guy trying to get into the game and, and things like that? I went to all the clinics. I mean, I put that effort in to, to learn my craft and really, I think, you know, between the, the confidence of, of my dad and a couple of coaches that helped me out, that's what told me I could do this. Yeah, you definitely uh, had some good help there. But, you know, the one thing you said about telling that athletic director, you don't want four coaches in five years, just, I mean, that rang a bell that, hey, you you already knew how to leverage your position and and your coaching opportunities and, and your boldness and confidence. That, that's pretty cool that you saw that far ahead that early in your career. And I think it speaks for – the leadership you've given over the the years in this uh, in this service, and uh, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit. One of the things we noticed as we researched in and tried to develop some questions that hopefully are meaningful for this conversation. You're you're a big presenter. You, you get asked to present a lot. Uh, you're very involved, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. One of the things you have pre- presented or co-presented on that we found was the topic of playing time. And obviously having the coaching background now being in the athletic administrator world, playing time is a hot button topic. It is now it's, it's, it's huge for coaches and athletic directors to deal with it. It will probably be a hot button topic for the end of time. Right. Right. So, you know, I started telling our coaches recently, you know, quit saying we're not going to talk about playing time to parents because regardless of whether parents say they want to talk about playing time when they want to have a meeting with you, they're going to get back to playing time as you know, unless it's the kid that plays every minute of every game. So quit talking about that. So could you take a few minutes, sum up your teachings on how to successfully deal with playing time as a coach and additionally, how the best athletic directors handle questions around playing time. Right. Yeah. It it is a big deal for us. And, and you're right. It doesn't matter what then that initial phone call is about. Ultimately it's going to wind down to playing time. What I've what I've developed over over my career, and, and I was as guilty of saying this as anybody else. I'm not going to talk about playing time. I'll talk about anything else because playing time is my responsibility. And no, what I teach and, and talk to our people is, is this: that parent is giving you their greatest asset. I don't care how much money they have, how many things and toys they have. The greatest asset they'll ever have is their children. And they're giving you the opportunity to work with their child for an hour and a half, two hours a day for 15 weeks out of the year, multiple years at a time, you know, potentially. That's the greatest asset they have. So let's not turn an advocate into an adversary by telling them we're not going to talk to you about their child that way. You need to have that advocacy for them. That is their child. They need to be able to do that. What I would say rather is let's engage the parent. I can tell when I'm dealing with a, with a, an issue and a coach or an athletic director calls and says, man, I got to go talk to this parent. I, I got to go deal with this parent. If you're dealing with something, you've already missed an opportunity, most likely to engage them. And so I always in all my interviews, I talk to people about how do you engage your parents? How do you engage this responsibility that you're having to make it better uh, with the parent, with the child? So my, my secret Uh, I would say, and it's not much of a secret. I'm not the only one who's ever done this, obviously, but I want to meet with the parents. I want to talk to them about, about things other than basketball. I want to talk to them about their future, their career, their academics, what they want, their hopes and dreams and things like that. That's, that's all good. But 
what I developed a few years ago, uh, probably 15 years ago now, uh, a little questionnaire that I developed and I shared with the kids. And it was simple things like, you know, who do you trust on the team? Who do you enjoy playing with on the team? What is your personal goal? What do you think team goals should be? And it's just like an index card, about four by six index card size. And on the back are those questions. On the flip side of it was what we determined to be the core values of our program, what we wanted, what we wanted to do, and certain things that that, like we would put on there, uh, like pick a word that you're going to that's going to represent you this year, you know, whatever that word, determination, the trust, the effort, whatever word you wanted. Well, then we took that to the parents too. And we use that in the parent meeting. And I would have another, another one with the parents where I asked them similar questions, things like, what can I do to help you at home? Or what can I do to help you with your son? What are the, is there a phrase that, that is special to you and your son? Uh, is there is there a phrase maybe you don't use? Is there a certain word that you don't want to use ever have used in your not you know just you never know what what you may have. But I wanted the parents to understand that we were looking at more than wins and losses. You know, it's it's a broader program of what we had. So we did that with them. The other thing we did was I had what, what I called a parents practice. And in our parents practice, I sat in the stands. I had two really good assistant coaches, and they ran a normal practice. And I sat in the stands with the parents and explained why we're doing this drill, what we're doing here, what we're doing here. This is what we're trying to get. This is why we're doing this. And our first 20 to 25 minutes of practice was all full court, all skills, all kinds of fundamental stuff that we were going full. And I said, now they've been running for 20 to 25 minutes and then and we still have an hour to go. And so when your son gets home and you tell him to take out the trash and he says he's tired, He's tired <laughs> now still make him take out the trash. Right. But, right. but give him a chance to, to relax, you know, get a, get a drink, get a rest and then, then take out the trash because none of us sitting in the, on these bleachers can do what they're doing right now. And then after they get tired and, I, and they get a little break and we're going to shoot some, we're going to go into some really specific things that we call our daily dozen. It's a specific set of skills and drills we're going to do. And then we're going to do some scrimmage and we're going to some breakup and, and I'll go through the whole thing. Right. And then I teach them a play. I will take the parents and I will teach them a play. And I like, I would use a play that we called high low. All right. So we've got two high, two low. And I said, if, if the ball goes this way, these two guys do this and these two guys do this. Okay. And then once it goes here, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And we're going to score either here, here, or here. Now, if we don't score somehow that way, then we're set up in a motion set and we go into our straight motion set. All right. Now, if the ball goes this way, these two guys have to do this. These two guys have to do this. And this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And the other thing is going to happen. And we should score here, here, or here. And the parents are looking at me like, that's a lot. And I said, yes. And we have 12 of those for man-to-man sets. We have 12 zone sets. We have 10 underneath out-of-bounds plays, three side out-of-bounds plays. We have a transition game with six options. We have a press break with six options. And we have three late-game specials. And your son has got to know all of them like that. And your son's teammates have to trust that he can run those just like that, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. And if your son can do that, he will be on the court. If your son cannot do that, he'll be over here with me until he proves he can and earns the trust of his teammates and coaches that he can do that. Now, that's my discussion on playing time. 
right? Because I trust you, trust me, I tell to your son every day about playing time, about the effort that he's giving, about the trust that he has with his teammates and coaches, about his understanding of the concept of the game. And they all look at me like, yeah, okay, I get it. And then I conclude practice with a small scrimmage that's, that is scripted to some degree because I would do this. I'd say, okay, um, we're scrimmaging and I'll blow the whistle and I'll say, Josh, uh, a foul, that's a foul. And Josh, you're going to the free throw line. And as you step up the line, everybody say, oh, you got blood on your jersey. You can't, you're out. Um, Mr. Matthews, come out here and shoot the free throw for your son. <laughs> and the parents are looking at each other like, what, what? And I'm like, no, come on, come on. I need you to shoot this free throw. And I'll bring a parent out and, and I'll tell the kids it's dead no matter what. Don't, don't, don't box anybody out, hurt a parent or anything, you know, don't, <laughs> no broken hips out here or anything, right? Yeah. And I'll let the parent shoot the free throw. And sometimes they make, so most of the times they, they would miss, you know, and that's okay, dead ball. All right, out of bounds. Okay, all right, you got the ball out of bounds over here. All right, um, all right, defense, we're in a 20 face guard. I don't want anybody getting the ball in bounds. Oh, Don, you're, you're, um, you got blood on your jersey. You're out. Uh, Mr. or Mrs. Baker, who, whichever one was there, you're going to inbound the ball. You're going to inbound the ball. And I would tell whoever was going to be yelling and screaming and jumping, don't let them get the ball inbounds. Right. And I'd give the parents a little bit of the feel of what their kids going through in a practice. Right. And then when it was over, you know, we'd excuse the kids and we're talking to the parents. I'm like, how'd that feel to you? And they're like, and that was intense. That was, I was, that was nervous. I was, yeah, that was practice. Think about what your son's going through in a game, right? Your son doesn't need you yelling at him. Your son needs to see you sitting behind the bench, cheering him and his teammates on and loving on him. I'll do the coaching. I'm going to love on him too. I'll do the correcting. You just be there for your son. And once we did, once we explained things to the parents and really talked to them about our commitment to them and their growth and our understanding that it's, it's, hey, I love the game, but it's just basketball, right? It's this about your son and helping your son grow. I, I didn't have any parent problems because our parents understood what we were trying to do. And we really didn't, have, I think in the last nine or 10 years that I, I may have had one parent say anything about playing time. And oddly enough, it was the last one I can remember was uh, like the year we were, we won a state championship. I had a parent upset because her son wasn't getting enough playing time. And I'm like, well, who do you want me to take out? I mean, we, I, we finished the year 29 and oh, I don't know what more I could have done, you know? Um, but that was just one, one example of, of some of the ways, what, what would stun me is that every now and then I'd have another coach come in and say, I'm having problems with the parents. And I'm like, well, you know what we do here? Why are, did you have your parents practice? And I'm like, no, I, I just, it just makes me nervous. I'm like, you gotta put that softball dad. Who's giving you some grief, put the, put him in the batting cage and see if he can hit that ball. Mm-hmm. Let him get out there and field. Right. Let the dad in the volleyball try to receive serve. They can't receive serve. They don't. But, you know, give them a feel of what their kid's going through and then show them how much you're investing in their kid. You, you, you get a really good ally when that happens. I think there's two things there. You know, you mentioned that idea of when you interview them and you have the note card and then through that through the course of that practice, you build connection with them and with their kid. But at the same time, I think it's this concept of taking time away to add value. 
you're essentially, you're not wasting a practice, but in the, in the, in the eyes of, of most coaches, you're taking away quality practice time in mm-hmm. order to bring those parents in and put a fire out before it even gets started. You're, you're taking time away, but you're adding value. So you know, it's, it's funny. You, you talk about that coach. Every coach in America says, yeah, I want a character education program in my practice or in my program, but I can't give you 10 minutes a day to do it. <laughs> yeah. No time to do like, it. Right. Yeah. Like right. That 10 minutes, like that 10 <clears throat> minutes is going to make the difference in your state championship opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, what's funny is, you know, we're recording this the day after Georgia finally wins another national championship. Don's a big Georgia fan, but uh, we're down here in Georgia. Yeah. But uh, one of the uh, specials before the game was Coach Smart. He brought in and did mind games, basically. I forget what they called it, but he basically grouped them up into small groups and had them talk about each other and get to know each other. He, mm-hmm. he specifically said, we had to take time away from practice to do this. And right. what's the result, you know? Right. I mean, the, and all those kids were talking about their connection, right? That All that lead up to the game was our connection. We're connected. We're connected. And he, he made – Right. Very sure that that was, a, you know, the the year that we the, the we won our state championship, we had six starters. I mean, one of those kids could it, they could it didn't matter which six. I no wonder you won, coach. You played six people at a time. That helped. Well, that was a good thing. <laughs> we we won. We, like we were 29. Oh, we won 21 games by double digits. I mean, it was wow. yeah. I was a great bus driver. I got him right. to the game. Just right. let him go. Right. right. But in our the state semifinals with two minutes to go, two or three minutes to go in this in the game, it got really tight, really close. And we actually went down a point and I called time out and I looked at the kids and I said, all year long, you have played for each other all year long. You have shared the ball and trusted each other. Don't get selfish now. Right. Play for each other you know, share the ball and all that. In the last two and a half minutes, each of those six kids, because uh, I had to sub one of them in and out, um, but all six of those starters made a special play that wound up winning the game. I mean, we, we won by eight. We went from down one to up eight, but all six of those kids made a play that made a difference in those last two minutes. And, you know, I'll go to my grave saying that that was the greatest timeout I ever called in my career to remind them to stay together and play for each other. So good. Now, one of the lines that you stated uh, in one of your presentations, this idea of let's focus, let's get back to the job of, of being an athletic leader. Uh, leadership can be a lonely place. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea of it being lonely at the top, so to speak. And I found, you know, many days serving in this role to be very lonely uh, when it comes to handling problems, implementing new initiatives, finding solutions. Uh, you know, I can relate to that quote, probably more often than I'd like to, or even admit to. Uh, But at the end of the day, no matter how big that decision is or how small it is, everybody wants somebody to make it. And because your name happens to be on the letterhead, they want it to be you. As as a district AD, how would you advise your ADs or even others that you mentor on how to handle this loneliness? Because we've talked about it on here before, this idea of the dream being the journey. Like you wanted to be the guy, right? You wanted to be quote unquote, the guy. Well, that means you get it all. You get the good, you get the bad. How do you help others navigate that? That's a great question. And, and it's not an easy, there's no real easy answer. You know, Don, you like, dang it. Yeah. When I was the head, (laughs) well, when I was the head coach, uh, you know, people getting like coach, where are we going to lunch today? Right. You know, so you get the head coach, you get to choose where we're going to lunch. They want to know where you, you become the AD. 
they're asking the new head coach where to go to lunch and they're walking out while you still got eligibility forms to do and insurance forms to do and transportation forms to do uh, because they don't remember to ask you to go to lunch anymore. That's right. You know? So it, it is a, a, a difficult thing. I don't know that there is a, you know, a panacea for that. Um, I think what does happen is that though, once you get in the chair, you can't forget that you can invite them to lunch too. And you can go to their office and go to their classroom and go sit down with them and talk to them and not expect it to be your office all the time. Uh, Cause I think there's a, there's a kind of that principal's office concept. Like, Oh man, I got to go see the AD. Oh, I got to go to whatever. Or, you know, I've got 15 high schools and 20 middle schools that I oversee. And I know there are days when I just need to talk to somebody. I'm in my office at the central office by myself. And I just, I just need to talk to Josh. You know, right. So I want to pick up the phone and call Josh. And I know that some days Josh sees that number come across. He goes, Oh no, I'm not asking <laughs> the phone. Right. Like, what do we do? Or I don't have time. And, and there's nothing wrong. I just need that connection today with somebody that, that sees the world like I do in athletics. You know, what, what COVID has done, especially when we're in really difficult times, like high transmissions or high rate of positivity or whatever, and we're not being able to go out and visit buildings like we, we have been. I mean, I've been wearing my, my telephone out. I call my guys and ladies every day. I call them every day and I'm just checking in. How you doing? Y- y'all okay today? Is there something you need? Um, you know, and, and it's just, and maybe we talk about something other than COVID today, but it's just, how you doing? Cause Communication is one thing, but as you mentioned earlier, Don, connection trumps communication. We, we can talk all day long and communicate, but if there's no real connection, and, and that's another thing that I spend a lot of time working with my coaches on uh, in my ADs is their communication style and their leadership style. All of my ADs have done Gallup strengths and got their top five strengths, and they've all done a communication survey and I've got a list up on my on my wall of everybody's name. And, you know, if I just need to call and say, hey, how's it going? What's going on? I really don't worry about it. But if I've got an issue with a particular coach or that, you know, we know there's a parent issue, a player issue, something like that. When I call that my EDs, I will look at their core strengths or their Gallup strengths and their communication style. And I know that, you know, I am a certain color. I'm a certain style. And I can come across, you know, sometimes I can be very red if we're going to do the color thing, right? I can be very red. Let's get it done. I got to do it. It's got to be done today and all that. And if I'm talking to another red, they totally get it. No big deal. Mm-hmm. But if I'm talking to somebody who's more of an analytical or, um, you know, more uh, you know, green or blue or whatever, that color, they don't hear me in their style that, that we don't we don't mix too well. So I know that I, as a, as the leader in the middle of this group, I have to kind of morph into a little more of their style a little bit. Hey, how's it going today? Hey, you know, we've got this issue. Now we can talk about this issue instead of just grabbing the phone and saying, what are you doing about this? Which some days you don't have time to do a lot of that stuff. And sometimes you can get in your own head so much that, you know, so I think a, a lot of ways, one way to stop being lonely at the top 
is to make sure that you are meeting the needs of your ADs and coaches around you and that they're hearing you in their language. It's not always easy. You don't always have time, but it's very, I think it's critical for us to make that, that connection. You know, I do this in the, in the 719 class that I teach for, for the NIAAA. We do this exercise and we'll put the reds in one corner and the greens in one corner and the blues in one corner and the yellows in one corner. And I stand in the middle and I have them talk to each other in their language. You know, and it's, you know, sometimes it's like the the, the Charlie Brown uh, peanut series when the Charlie Brown teacher is talking and, the, and it's wah, 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 wah is all you hear that teacher say, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes your coaches are, or ADs are hearing wah, wah, wah because you're not talking to them in their language. And you didn't meet them at, at a point where they can really connect. So I think that's a critical part of uh, of making sure you're not lonely and they don't see you as the person just telling them what to do or talking them off the ledge, but, but in there, in the trenches with them and working with them. So good. That, hear, hearing, hearing you in their language. That's uh, don't take, if you don't take anything else from today, take that. Uh, and again, that puts it, you know, work is the common denominator in all of this that we're talking about. It takes work and it takes intentionality to do that. But that, that's that's fantastic right there. Now, in our research for this conversation, we found some news publications from the summer of 2020. Uh, and let's rewind real quick. You know, this, that was probably a summer that every district AD or every AD would like to forget, to be honest with you, with what we had to go through there. But you had to deliver some tough news. Uh, you had to make some unpopular decisions, as did a lot of us. Uh, but that happens, you know, a good deal in this profession. It's not just related to COVID. It just happened to be during that time. But what strategies have you found successful when you've got to deliver that tough news, that unpopular news? Practice. Practice. <laughs> I, I, I finally have an assistant, which has been wonderful. Uh, for the first uh, four years of, of this job, uh, I, I didn't have it. I didn't have secretary. And I don't have, now I have an assistant. I don't have a secretary. I have an assistant. And, and being able in this last two years to, you know, talk to somebody who understands what you're doing um, and, and kind of practice how you're going to do it and, and write out like a lot of times we'll write out what we want. But then you also have to make sure that you don't put too much that people they don't need all all the nuts and bolts, you know, so that's kind of a it's, it's a you, you really have to practice how you're going to let things go and, and how you're going to communicate. We have, like every other district, you know, we shut down for a while. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I felt really guilty in, in the spring of 19. Uh, nobody was calling. Nobody was complaining. You know, the NCAA tournament didn't happen. Baseball shut down. Basketball shut down. Nobody was calling. I was still getting paid. I felt really guilty that I was getting a paycheck when I was basically sitting at home for a couple of months. Then June the 3rd happened. And you're out of school, so you're now unrestricted. And the high school league said, well, y'all can go ahead and practice again. But my district said, no, we couldn't. And I've earned every penny of that money then because then the parents <laughs> really let you know. No, that's that's right. Right. I felt yeah. I was okay at that point. I got my money's worth right there yeah. in the summer. Yeah. Um, so did they, right? Yeah, no, they did, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the other thing that that, that I, in our communication is what we have said to our parents 
over and over and again in our community over again. You know, everybody likes to use the phrase in an abundance of caution, right? In an abundance of caution, we're do- they don't want to hear that anymore. What we're telling them is we're doing the best we can at the, with the understanding that we have both, both from the government and from the doctors and the hospitals and all that stuff. We're doing the best we can trying to manage this for the safety of your child, right? And the safety of our coaches. We don't know everything about COVID, but but it, it's worse on folks that have pre-existing conditions. And I got a bunch of coaches that are 60s. I got a bunch of coaches that have medical issues and, and things like that. And we know that it's it's worse on them. So I think when, when we presented it from that global perspective, you know, that it was more of a health and safety thing for us as well. We had 10,000 employees in Greenwood County Schools. Yeah, that's a big school district. I mean, you guys know what the, you know, you're in a big school district. You know right. what it's like. You got thousands of athletes and hundreds and hundreds of coaches. Sometimes you got to give them some bad news. And the bad news is you're, you're quarantined this week or your games are off this week or we're going virtual for a couple of weeks because of whatever, what, you know, whatever. But I think as long as you're, the message is, is consistent and the message is about the, really the health and safety of the people involved. We've been able to we've been able to manage it. I mean, never going to keep everybody happy, but we have. I think we've done a good job. And I think, you know, you know, too, there's there's management and there's leadership and we manage stuff every day. Leadership, the problem that we have seen and it's killing us, you know, and it's killing. I know it's you, too. Right. You want to be the leader. You want to make the decision. And whether it's at a school level or a district level, as the athletic director, you're in charge of making decisions all the time for those coaches and kids that you're responsible for. COVID took a lot of that away from us, right? Because now the decision that I normally would make from an athletic standpoint, I might have to uh, deal more along the lines of, I got to work with the associate superintendent for academics or the associate superintendent for high schools. They have no interest in that, not no interest, but athletics is not their thing. Right. And then I've got to work with the the coordinator of medicine. And then I've got to work with um, transportation and and the decision making process that I normally would make myself is now more of a committee. And and it's and then no matter what, it's going to go to the superintendent and then it's got to go to the board of trustees and it's got to go. And it makes it made us, I'll say us, but it made me feel like I wasn't doing the job that I, I needed to do, not the job I was accustomed to. Understand. The reality is it's, it's what had to be done, you know? And um, even I, I was on all the committees for the high school league, the return to play committee, the medical committee. Uh, I, you know, I got invited to be part of those committees and I understood that there were going to be restrictions and there were going to be some difficulties, but I'm, I'm very accustomed to being the guy who wants to make that decision. And I can make those decisions for athletics. The last two years have been really hard because you can't make those decisions. Uh, you give your advice and it goes up and swirls around and comes back to you. It comes back to and, you. Yeah. And it comes, it comes right back. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it has been difficult, but I can't think of a better group of people to work with than my, my ADs have been phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. My coaches, for the most part, have been phenomenal. Um, And our parents understand. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not upset that I didn't get to play, uh, but they understand. In the end, they understand. They they want you to listen to them. You listen to them, and and they're, they're okay. 
And that, that yeah. idea of bouncing that off of people, you know, my, my, my assistant, Pam, I, Josh knows this, I call it, she's, yeah. she's really the athletic director, um, you know, and I can't tell anytime that I've got to speak to those, to, to my ADs, I bring her in, I run it by mm-hmm. her first. Uh, thankfully I married an English teacher. So if I've got to put it in writing, I give it to her. It, bleeds all over the place. She hits an artery and then gives it back to me. And then, then I sound much better uh, when it goes back out, but having those people that you can kind of bounce that stuff off of, because they're going to hear it differently than you're hearing in your head sometimes. And sometimes, you know, they'll point out something and I had no clue that I was coming across that way when in reality I was, and we were able to get ahead of it before I actually said it. Yeah. My, my wife is, is, I mean, we've been married 30, almost 37 years. I mean, we're, it, it's, it's a true partnership and, and there'll be things that I'll, I'll say, well, I need to ask you this. What, what would, what do you think? It's just, well, what's the answer you're looking for? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, is this the answer you want? Then this is the question. This is the way you should ask the question. Yeah. And she, she's, you know, she's an old coach's wife. Well, I shouldn't say old. I'm the old coach. She's yeah, that's, right. Uh-huh. that's right. That's right. Yeah. Good. She good. It. Good. And, um, you know, she's, she's right there with me. And so that helps a lot. Now my, my assistant is the coordinator actually also coordinates PE. And sometimes I'll say, can you write this up? And she goes, no, no PE teacher, you write it up. <laughs> so I'll write it up and have it evaluated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, I was going to say, you know, if you, if your ADs are like, uh, uh, Don's, you know, they're probably uh, wearing you out during COVID telling you how things should be solved. Or at least I know one of them was he's got 16 ADs and, uh, 15 of them might've been phenomenal. One guy's probably wearing him out all day long. So, uh, we'll, we'll leave that guy nameless, but, uh, no, it was, uh, you know, uh, great leadership by you guys. Y'all had, like you said, y'all had to deal with so many different other people making decisions. And then you had to deliver their decisions as if they were y'all. So it was tough. And thanks for, uh, teaching us about how to make, uh, you know, unpopular decisions or, or communicating that at least. And I would like to say, you mentioned your wife, uh, mm-hmm. for any athletic director, high school athletic director out there listening, I guess, middle school too. your wife's very active when it comes to supporting you and your endeavors through high school athletic administration. And mm-hmm. she, uh, she is very active in our section, but also at the NIAAA conference. I know my wife is connected with her, and I think she does a Facebook page around the national conference with um, connecting all the spouses there. So, uh, you know, if y'all, I don't, I don't know if you can provide that. We can put it in the show notes. So uh, maybe I'll get it from my wife. That Facebook uh, link there that is very helpful. So, yeah, my wife, my Tammy is. Uh, she's been coming to the national conference, uh, and I got the opportunity to be on the national board, and I was president in 2010 and uh you know so she got to travel with me at several places and then you know she knows what it's like i mean she knows right right you know, that i've been an athletic i was a building athletic director for 23 years now i've been a district athletic director for six she she reminds me often that she agreed to marry me uh when i was a basketball coach um, we dated through a season and then the season was over. I said, okay, this is the way it's going to be. Or, or are we going to move forward with this or what? And she took out a sheet of paper and wrote pros and cons down and wrote the pros and cons down of dating, of, of marrying a basketball coach. Now, fortunately for me, the pros outweighed the cons and, and we got married, <laughs> but she did remind, has reminded me many, many times. She only agreed to marry a basketball coach. She never agreed to marry an athletic administrator. All right. <laughs> So as she's gotten involved with this now more and more, she created this group called Athletic Administrator Support System. Right. And it's basically a, a, a it is a Facebook group 
that is is for you know any of the the spouses and significant others that want to join from from athletic administrators and it's just they put questions out and and try to figure out ways to help each other and uh, especially some young young administrators whose whose wives are sitting at home or husbands sometimes may be sitting at home going where are you in the spring I don't baseball softball lacrosse soccer track I don't know but you're at the school. That's right. And, um, uh, you know, so it's 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 a really interesting thing she's done is she's really helped increase the the participation of the wives at the national conference. Right. And, uh, and finding things for them to do. So it's been a, it's been a, a real blessing for her and, and I hope for others. Absolutely. They had a great breakfast and a great service project out in Denver. And uh, my wife is looking forward to the next one. I know so. Hey, Coach, one more uh, kind of article and, and hot button topic that we found that we wanted to discuss came from the Christian Science Monitor article interview you did in September 2021. And it talked about uh, where you mentioned teaching kids how to critically think to solve problems and make bold decisions. Mm-hmm. Now, you you have mentioned that you're in the central office. So is Don. I'm in the local school, but I'm, I'm not teaching a class. I am not coaching anymore. I'm an administrator. Uh, I know there are a lot of folks like us uh, where we do not directly deal with kids on a day-to-day basis like teachers and coaches do. So how do you go about teaching critical thinking skills, how to solve problems, making bold decisions without having that direct daily contact with kids? Yeah, that's that. that's the. Uh, that's the only downside, truly downside to, to what I do now is I'm not in the building with kids. And and there's a little side note from time to time, I'll be a little more grumpy than normal. And my wife will look at me and say, when was the last time you were in a school building? Go visit some kids. And you get back in the building and you get around that energy and you feel a lot better about yourself. A couple of things, a couple of ways I do it. Uh, even now, we have something called interdistrict council. Um, or I'm sorry, inner high council, which is uh, the, the 15 student body presidents senior class presidents uh, come together. We meet once a month. Uh, the superintendent's there. Uh, all the district personnel are there. But I get involved in that group, and we do critical thinking exercises with them. We do service projects with them. So we, um, you know, we that gives me some connection to them. Uh, I get invited to speak at a lot of the schools, go out and, and visit teams uh, and speak to teams at schools. And so I'll go through some exercises with them there. Uh, a couple of schools have started a, a student mental health uh, initiative, and uh, I'm, I'm involved with those. I'll go go meet with with kids um, um, and and talk to them about you know different things like that. But it, it boils back to something that started a long, long time ago when really when when Season of Life came out, the the book that uh, Marx wrote, Season of Life, which was the introduction really for Joe Ehrman for everybody to start knowing who Joe Ehrman was. When Joe started talking in that uh, part of that book was what the message that 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 media gives to boys and girls that that boys it's about the 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 you know, ball field and the and the billfold and and you know the 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 guy with the most money the the man with the big house and the car and the girlfriend that's what makes them a man. And and that's the message that sometimes media sends. And that really has zero to do with becoming a man and what a man is. And that what media teaches girls that they have to be skinny and pretty and they have to sit around and wait for Prince Charming to come and save them. Well, I, I'm a dad of daughters. And I can tell you, we didn't talk. We didn't teach our girls to sit around and wait for Prince Charming to come around. 
You know, our daughters were raised to, to be self-sufficient, strong women, strong, independent women. And I did that in my classroom. So I would once I read that book and totally and you know really understood that, I would teach that in my classroom. First day of first day lesson was was basically Joe Ehrman was what it takes to be a man and what it takes to be a young lady and what media might say or magazines might say or whatever is not real. What's real is, you know, you, you need to be bold and, 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 and make decisions for yourself and make, make choices for yourself. And, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of where, where it came from. My, my mantra to my students all along was be bold ask questions, make a challenge. Now there's a right, and I always teach them too. There's a right way and wrong way to ask questions. Sure. And when your parents tell you something, there's a right way and a wrong way to say why, you know, don't, don't yep. just screaming why is not the answer. Having a discussion is a good thing and get depth, but that's where, that's where you have to be bold. I think to get anywhere, uh, you know, I, I think we, we kind of started out with how bold I was to take that job. I, I've, I've just felt like, you know, if you know your stuff and you've learned your craft and I'm still learning, you know, I, I'm, I'm a leadership geek. I'm reading stuff all the time. I'm looking for ways to enhance my leadership style and, and what I do. And leadership is a risk. It's a verb. Leadership's action. Right. I think everything to do with leadership has, has an ING at the end of it, whether it's, you know, working or listening. Listening is still a verb. It's still action. You're listening to your people. One of my last AD meetings, I, I, my, you know, we brought everybody in. I had 11 minutes worth of things that I needed to talk about. And then I said, okay, it's your turn. Go. And I sat down with a piece of paper and I started writing and I wrote two pages front and back. They talked for an hour and a half of all the issues that they were facing and what they and, I, and what they needed back from me. Most of what they needed was me just to listen to them. But in listening to them, I, I wrote down about 11 things that I, I were action items for me at the end of that meeting. And, you know, in our job, when we're not coaching a team today, we got to find a way to win. If I don't get to see a kid today, I still have to find something to win. You know, we want to win, right? We're going to find a win. I got I got nine of those 11 things done by the end of that day. That meeting ended at 12. I had nine of those 11 done by five o'clock. It was a giant win for me and for the, my ADs that they got information back that day. You know, the other two, one of them was able to get the next day. One of them is kind of beyond my control. I can't, but I listened to them and I forwarded it on. Right. So I think those are to me, that's just kind of what the job is right now. You know, I try to find ways where I can impact students. Uh, I love going out and talking to teams and, uh, you know, having coaches meetings. I, I do district wide coaches meetings. We bring them in and talk to them about what their role is and any way you can you can impact. Them. And I want our coaches to be bold. I want them to take a stand. You know, I want them to, to understand as again, as the Joe Herman thing, you, you have a position, you have platform and you have power. Understand what, what, what you're doing. And, and if you can love on those kids and, and grow those kids and help them be the young man or young woman, they were, they were, I told them they all special. They're all special and they're all gifted. Now they don't all open their packages at the same time, right? Every kid's got a gift. And they might open it when they're 14. Some of them might not open it till they're 17. 
Some of them may not open until they're 21 and they realize, man, coach was right. Every kid's gifted. They don't open the packages at the same time. But coaches need to be helping them understand what that gift is. So good. Now, talking about the job and, and how to how to do the job, uh, Tim Elmore in his latest book, The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership, he talks about a concept of leadership where he states, we find it more comfortable to be, quote unquote, a guard dog who is protecting, barking, suspicious of outsiders. Their job is to protect. And then you have guide dogs, on the other hand, that they go first. They model the way. They take those who may not see what's ahead with them on a journey. Their job is to partner. Why do you think we as leaders lean so heavy into that guard dog and not enough toward the guide dog? And how can we get closer to being better partners to those that we lead? Yeah, that's that's a it's a great book and it's a great concept. It's one of the things that I've I've probably the privilege that I had from one of my early mentors was was saying, look, you're going to you're going to be so consumed with your school, you're going to put yourself in a silo. And when you're in that silo, you can't see anybody else. You don't understand anybody. You're just worried about you. And you got to remember, you're one school in eight in this region. You're one school in 48 in this conference. You're one school in 220 in this state. And you're one in 20,000 in the nation. Hmm. Right. And so he taught me very early to have a, a broader vision than that silo. And that's that's the guard dog concept, I think, is you you're so worried about you. Uh, I think what we see this in realignment all the time when the states want to do realignment. Oh my God, where are we in realignment? Just just, just finish one of those. (laughs) We we just got ours too, right? And it's it's where are we in football? Football is one of 22 varsity sports. You know, I understand football is big. I understand football is money. I also understand I got 100 football players, but I got 700 athletes. You know, so it's a broad, you have to be broader, um, you know, than that concept, I think. But it's really hard, especially for younger ADs to see beyond the fence of their own school uh, because they're, they are worried a little bit, I think, about what's going on and not having a broader understanding a broader teaching maybe of, of what their, their state association may look like or, or their classification or something like that. And I think that's what what happens is they just don't they don't have enough experience to look outside. And in some guys, you're never going to you're never going to convince them. You know, they're just it's my school, my program. And 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 when when somebody's looking at it that way, that's a bigger problem anyway. Right. My school, my program. I have really championed uh, the SCAAA. In your case, it would be GADA. Uh, really champion looking at, you know, get involved on committees, get involved with talking to people outside your county, outside your district, um, try to understand what's going on with those people. Go to the national, go to the section meeting, go meet other people and, and get an understanding of what's out there. Because, you know, your your one school, yes, it's important. And yes, the community loves it. And yes, but it can't exist in a vacuum. You got to get out there. And, you know, when I go to meetings, I don't go sit with the South Carolina guys. If I'm going out of state and there's a couple of us going to Georgia for the section meeting, or maybe we're going to Indianapolis for an NIAAA meeting or whatever. And there's a couple of South Carolina guys that are over there and they're like, Hey, we're sitting over here. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go sit over here at a different table. Now I'm not blowing them off, but I see those guys all the time. I'm going to go sit at a different table and meet somebody new 
and try to try to develop a relationship with somebody in a different part of the country who may be experiencing a similar condition, maybe the same condition, but they've got a different answer. Right. And that's given me a broader perspective and way to look at things. And, and, and I, we need to encourage that among our ADs. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I love it. So at the section meeting next uh, in, in May, I'll be sitting with somebody. I'll be sitting over there with you, Daryl. That'd be great. T- tell my Georgia guys, hey, y'all are over there by yourself. That's right. Uh, no, That's I right. love it. I think it's great. Hey, so speaking of that, I wanted to finish up one last question about being involved at the national level, the state level, all that stuff you mentioned. Uh, you do teach a lot of classes. Uh, and, and some of those classes, I think you teach quite often are those 500 level classes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those are kind of the introduction classes or the meat and potatoes of athletic administration of what we do. Uh, sometimes we leave those classes in the cold sweats because uh, there's a lot of stuff that can uh, get you in trouble that you're learning in those that That's you think, right. man, I'm not doing a very good job, but it, it just makes you aware. And mm-hmm. I think awareness helps us get better for sure. So just finish up right here before we get to our two minute drill. Obviously you said you've been doing this, I think for 29 years, I think I said 22 and I was off by uh, a decade there. So uh, I apologize, but uh, you've been doing this for a long time, almost uh, uh, going into that uh, fourth decade, it looks like there. And uh just share with us two or three topics that you think athletic administrators, maybe new guys, young guys, folks following in your footsteps need to know, need to focus on if we're going to have just a basic fundamental grasp of the job, I guess. Ooh, just a couple. Um, yeah, we probably could do a whole podcast on those. Yeah, right? really. Yeah. There's only think, five. There's what? There's five classes, eight, six classes, <laughs> 500 levels. So, yeah. Well, I know when you teach for, uh, 504 and 506 on liability and, and there it is and stuff <laughs> like that, you know, a lot of those guys are going here, here are my keys back, you know, because right. it's like, wait, how am I responsible for that? Right. Yeah. Well, Sometimes you are. Sometimes the courts will go your way, and you're not. But you know, that's you don't you don't put yourself in that situation. I, I think a couple of things. I mean, Title IX is, and this is what, the 50th year of Title IX. Uh, you know, got, I'm amazed that people still don't understand, have a, a basic concept of what Title IX really means. Um, they, that you really need to be alert to Title IX and understand what it means and protect uh, protect yourself against. Uh, you know, issues that can arise from Title IX inconsistencies and inequities. An understanding of what true liability is, is also really critical. Um, My first day as an athletic administrator at a very small private school, we had a soccer game and and a parent told me, asked me if I had a hammer. Now I'm standing there in t-shirt and shorts at a soccer game. You got a hammer? And I'm like, no. And he goes, go find one. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, go find a hammer. And he pointed down to the, uh, we had the landscape timber that was surrounding the bleachers and all that. And there was a, a, a nail head or spike about maybe three eighths of an inch above the timber. He said, go get a hammer and nail that in. And I'm like, that little thing? And he said, I'm an attorney. And I built my pool house and pool off of something just like that. Wow. Go get a hammer. I'm like, yes, sir. Noted. And I went and got a hammer, right? And it's there's there's there they're really big things, but there's also really small things that need your attention and need your focus. So I think Title IX is one thing. Obviously, an understanding of liability is another thing. Another thing is don't be afraid to ask questions. Mm-hmm. You don't know everything. 
You don't know what you don't know till you don't know it. And it's too late. You know, nobody's nobody can do this job. Uh, I, I go back. It's not in a vacuum. You know, every decision you make impacts somebody else. So, you know, get input, find a mentor, find somebody you trust. And don't be afraid to ask questions. That's great. Yeah, I love the I love the sum up right there. Every decision you make in this chair, every decision you make in this role impacts someone or other others. Yeah. So that, that's that's vital to remember there. So, uh, well, Daryl, it's been great. It's been great learning for somebody who uh, has so much wisdom and so many lessons learned in this uh, business. And now we're going to get to know you just a little bit better. We do a two minute drill here at the end. Right. Don kicks us off with that. So we're going to ask you a few good, fun questions here. All right. Okay, Daryl, we're going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions. You just tell us the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? All right. What was the first job you ever had, ever? Stock boy at J.B. White. (laughs) That's good. I can relate. What was the last time you did something for the first time? Uh, Shortly after the National Conference in Colorado, we went out and did a snowmobile trip, and I rode a snowmobile up through uh, uh, Winter Park in Colorado. Phenomenal. What was your favorite cartoon growing up? Uh, My favorite cartoon would have been Bugs Bunny. My favorite cartoon character is the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Ah, nice choice. I like the bumble. (laughs) All right. What is the number one thing ADs need to talk more about? From a professional standpoint, I would say how they can improve competition, equitable competition and sportsmanship. From a personal standpoint, I would say it's their their own health. What was the first car you ever had? A 1968 Ford Torino that my grandfather passed down to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the most memorable sporting event you have ever attended. Probably uh, ACC basketball tournament. Who is the best athlete that you've ever seen in person? Michael Jordan. If you could have free meals for life at one fast food chain, which one would you choose? Oh, wow. Uh, one Chick-fil-A. Yeah, there you of, go. Of course. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, let's say uh, unnecessary meetings. Unnecessary meetings at the district level. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you could left off the district level. We'd all agree, probably. It's, it's, I could say bad officiating too, but no, everybody represents. Everybody understands that too. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh me! What was the name of your first record tape or CD? Uh, wow. Record tape or CD? Probably. Oh, that's a good one. Maybe something with uh, uh, Steve Miller Band or, or the Eagles, probably. Something like that. Whose advice do you value the most? Whose advice? I have to say my wife, right? And I, I mean, I, I, my parents... And my in-laws, I, t- I hit the lottery on this thing. My my in-laws are mm-hmm. unbelievable. My my father-in-law's one of five most intelligent people I ever met in my life. 
I'll listen to him. That's good. What's something you think everyone should try at least once? Skydiving. Mm, quick to that one. <laughs> I'm not going to try that one, by the way. Uh, I did it indoors, and I'm good. But it was fun. It was fun doing it indoors. I, I opened my mouth one time about saying that, and a friend of mine set me up for it, and I did it, and it was it was it was all it's cracked up to be. And you have lived to tell the tale. If I if did. money if money were no object, what outrageous luxury would you add to your house? Uh, I would uh, I would have a um, a really nice woodworking wood shop. I have a decent one. I would have a really nice one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, John Cohen said he'd love to visit Greenville for the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament. What is one must visit spot in Greenville, South Carolina? Our Main Street. <clears throat> Our Main Street's been been listed as one of the top ten and like in the in the nation. Um, but we we through downtown, much like San Antonio, we have a river that runs through downtown, the Reedy River. And and right in the middle of town, there is a 60-foot waterfall that runs right through the middle of town. And we have a park there, the Reedy River Park, Liberty Bridge goes over top of it. Um, it's, it, we All of our festivals are downtown. We have all kinds of things that, that go on downtown. Our main street area is really, really, uh, really attractive to folks. That's cool. We got to get up there and visit. Yeah. All right. Let's finish with this one today. Coach Daryl Nance, you've been hanging with the ADs, but let's say you could hang out with anyone. Who would that be and why? Anyone? Anyone. Anyone. Um, anyone. Man, you guys don't ask easy questions on some of this stuff, you know? <laughs> anyone. Uh, uh, anyone, anyone, anyone. You know who I'd like? I, I'd say this Big Poppy. Yeah. You know, How about uh, that? David Ortiz for the Red Sox. How about that? If he was playing with it, I think hanging out with him would be a hoot one day. It'd be a lot of fun just to hang around Big Poppy one day. Yeah, I like it. That, that's like a it. that is a great answer, Daryl. Thank you for the time today. I know that we're all better for it. Uh, we look forward to taking your experiences and learning from them uh, as we look to improve. So appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I had a blast. You guys are great. Today's conversation with Mr. Daryl Nance, District Athletic Director for the Greenville County Public School System in Greenville, South Carolina, was as practical of a conversation as we have had. He gave us so many insights that we can apply that are practical for what we do as athletic leaders. Insight into how to handle parents and tough situations with parents like playing time, practical answers to that. He gave us practical answers in how to connect with our coaches, take them to lunch, go to their areas, practical exercises that we can do to connect with our coaches. And and he also gave us practical insight in how to teach life skills to our kids, our student athletes, even in the role as athletic director, when we may not interact with them as much as we did when we were in the coach or teacher role practical insights. That's what Daryl Nance is all about, and that's what we appreciate in this conversation. And I think the last thing that, that kind of sums up that practical, practicality sense of leadership is his quote, leadership is a risk. 
It is a verb. It is an action. Leadership really is an ing word. Just a great definition of what leadership is and how we should be doing it. It should be an action of ours. So, Mr. Daryl Nance, thank you for sharing so many practical exercises, practical insights with us today. We appreciate it. You made us better, and we are so glad we had this conversation with you today. Now, as we ask every time, we wish you to appreciate reading great comments. If you could stop, subscribe if you haven't subscribed, forward our podcast, share it with a friend that maybe doesn't have it, and rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. Really, though, we'd like for someone else to hear our podcast if it's worthwhile. So forward that on to someone that may may not have it and just expand our network for us if you don't mind. We appreciate it. And until next time, thank you for spending your time hanging with the AD. Mm-hmm.